is probably the most familiar passage of the entire Bible, or maybe even the most memorized one. I mean, how many of you can recite it? Oh, two. Okay, praise the Lord. Okay, or maybe five. Okay, I'm sure more than that. Okay, well, although I, I actually I never preach on this psalm at a Sunday service. Well, I did actually two weeks ago in the Cantonese service. It was the same message. But before that, I have never preached it on a Sunday service. But I have, nevertheless, taught on it in many different occasions. I have taught it in Sunday school, in fellowship Bible studies. Uh, I have shared it at wedding and also at funeral. It's probably the most Frequent use of this psalm is at funeral. Well, there are so many occasions that this psalm was used means that this passage of divine words is all relevant. It can be used in whatever life situation you're in. Whether you are in a Thanksgiving situation or, or, or you are having a discouraging moment, maybe a sorrowful circumstance, or even a dangerous encounter. We can always find comfort. We can find encouragement and support from this psalm, this classic psalm. One of the reasons that this psalm is so popular is probably due to its applicability. Many people can apply this psalm into their own lives. Even it says this is a song of David. You can put it in your life. You can put your life, you know, you put your own story into the shoes of the, of the psalmist. And it would become your own song. Even your name is not David. So over the last 3,000 years, this song has become a picture of the lives of millions of people. It's a piece of cross-cultural cross-generational classic literature. But nevertheless, each psalm should have its own literacy type or genre. So what type is Psalm 23? Well, Psalm 23 is in fact a combination of thanksgiving and trust-stating psalm. It is a rare type of psalm in which that it does not contain any petition within the, the entire song. The psalmist did not ask God for anything. Every single line in this psalm is a form of proclamation of the psalmist. You know, this type of petitionless psalm describes a very classic type of relationship between human and God. You just imagine. Imagine you want to approach God without any desire to ask Him for anything. Just simply proclaiming His goodness and stating your trust in Him. Just purely enjoying God's presence. It's like nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God. How sweet it is. So, before I go further, I'd like you to pay attention on every word of this psalm 
as Verna is going to lead us and read to us this trust-stating uh, psalm uh, in front of all of us. Please, Verna, do it. Yeah. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Werner. Let us all pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you. We give thanks for, this, for you because of this psalm and because of what this psalm has described you, that you are our shepherd. So I pray that, that your word today will guide us into this pure, trusting relationship with you, that we can come to you without fear because you are a loving shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the difficulty in preaching Psalm 23 comes from its familiarity to, to most of you. We probably have heard sermons on it many times. Well, so what more can we talk about? So today, I would attempt to use a, a rather unconventional perspective to address this psalm in which I will attempt to interpret this psalm from the view of Jesus' salvation in the Gospel. That's why the the title today is called The Gospel According to Psalm 23. In fact, I believe that this psalm contains many Gospel elements in all its six verses. It doesn't just talk about God's protection or provision. When we read it, we, most of the time we, we read it from the perspective of God's protection and God's provision. But not just that. It also talks about many other things. For example, it talks about our repentance. It talks about God's incarnation. It also talks about atonement. And at the end, it talks about reversal of a curse. Well, you might wonder, the Psalm 23 you know, is it the same as the Psalm 23 that I know? Well, I'll tell you, it is, it is the same. That this psalm does contain all these gospel elements. But if you do wonder, I'd like to invite you to join me to enter the ancient village culture and use it as a context for this Psalm 23 journey. At the beginning, the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd. And as someone living in the modern world who cannot live without Wi-Fi connection, it's very hard, if not impossible, to imagine what the psalmist is proclaiming. The Lord is my shepherd actually means I have no shelter protection in the means of a house or apartment. I have no legal protection for my properties or my life. I have no police to ensure my safety. I have no hospital 
to provide medical care for me. I have no fire department to rescue me if I need them. I have no cell phone or GPS to show me direction in case I got lost. I even have no brothers and sisters to show me comfort when I suffer. I have no protection other than having the Lord as my shepherd. We might not have noticed, but we are actually surrounded by all kinds of protections in our daily life. Things like I just mentioned, such as police force, you know, legal system, uh, uh, medical care, etc. We also have things like insurance, vaccine, vitamins, airbag. I mean, we even have a health and safety committee at our church. Right, Dr. Fong? <laughs> it's really hard to imagine that we'll live a day without any of these protections. We just take them for granted. But when the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, he literally means the Lord is my only protection. You know, it's very dangerous to travel through many Palestine uh, areas. Attacks from uh, wild animals, bandits, in addition to sandstorms, you know, shortage of water, high heat, landslides, you name it. And also, they, you know, just the, the terrains are very rough. It's very hard to travel. It's already hard for a physically fit man to travel, let alone a sheep. And for sheep, their only protection comes from their shepherd, nothing else. Among a wide range of animals, sheep is considered to have the least defensibility. They, they, they are the worst type of, of animal in terms of self-defense. They are the least likely survivors. Unlike, for example, cats. Cats have airbags on their palms. And they have super night vision. Dogs. Dogs have canine teeth and they can run fast. Horses can kick. And they have speed. Bears, they have strength. They can fight. And, and even turtles. I mean, turtles, they, they, they are slow and they cannot fight. But they still have a hard shell to hide. While sheep have none of that. The teeth are no weapon because they're vegetarian. I mean, they have no claws. And they run relatively slow. And worse, their vision is really bad. I mean, the biggest issue with their vision is that they cannot distinguish what is, what is near and what is far. So, so if they are to run, it's very easy for them to maybe fall off a cliff or to hit a tree. So the only protection of a sheep does not come from its own ability, but from their shepherd. Their lives depend on their shepherd. And this is the preamble of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he continues, he said, that he lacks nothing. Or some other version uh, that it says that he shall not want. 
This verse is in fact the headline of the song. Okay? The following verses from 2 to, to 6 would describe how he shall not want, or how he lacks nothing. So the first stage, he said in verse 2, He, the shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Well, first of all, we need to take note on the posture of the sheep. It lies down. Oops. Like this. Well, if it is a dog, you can surely train it to sit or lie down at your command. But you cannot do that with a sheep. No one can force a sheep to lie down unless certain conditions are met. A sheep would lie down only when it had finished eating and drinking water. And also, it is sure that the surrounding contains no threat. Lying down for a sheep is a posture to digest food. Therefore, the scripture says that the sheep lies down. And we know that it's because the shepherd has fed it with grass and waters and has ensured it with a safety, with a safe environment. And the scripture emphasizes that the shepherd leads them. That's key word. Shepherd leads, which assumes that he is walking in the front. It doesn't say the shepherd drives his flock in which that he is at the back. No, the shepherd leads. Sheep follow. But how does the shepherd lead? Well, there are two common ways that a shepherd leads his flock. First is by blowing a shepherd uh, recorder or flute. Second, and more common way, not every shepherd has a, has a recorder. So, so the second and the more common way is by singing with his own voice. We know that sheep have, they have really bad vision, right? But they have very good hearing sense. Sheep can distinguish the voice of their shepherd. There are many ancient Babylonian manuscripts describing the work of shepherds. Some of them said that these shepherds, they like to gather together in the afternoon with their respective flocks. So, so a bunch of shepherds, they would gather together while their sheep were eating and drinking or lying down. And then at that time, the shepherds, they would have their downtime, so they would just socialize and, and maybe exchanging some intel, like where the pasture is better and, and so on. So, so this is their own fellowship time for shepherds. And when a shepherd decided to take off, Time to go. And he would just stand up and raise his, vo- his voice and maybe sing a few lines of a song. Then his sheep would stand up and follow him. And only his sheep would do it. That's why Jesus once said in John's Gospel, he said, when he, the shepherd, has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, the sheep, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they would run away from the stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now that we know that Jesus was not exaggerating here. So back to us, back to our days, our lives. 
How are we doing in recognizing the voice of our great shepherd? We've followed Jesus for, for quite some time. I mean, a few years, well, maybe a few decades. And we should be able to distinguish his voice against all other voices, right? But unfortunately, sometimes, our hearing sense is maybe even worse than a sheep. In reality, there are times that we would walk in the wrong path, either by intention or without intention. Just like the next verse, verse 3, that says, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Maybe it's due to lost in translation. This verse is the most misinterpreted one among all six verses in this psalm. It says that the shepherd refreshes my soul. What does it sound like? It certainly sounds like a continuation from the previous verse. Remember the sheep was lying down, or maybe the sheep was getting too relaxed, you know, asleep on the green pasture. But now it's time for the shepherd to take off. So the shepherd would wake the sheep up. Let's go! So does, does refreshing my soul mean that? Waking me up? This explanation seems, seems consistent with the previous word, verse, but it probably has lost its meaning of a key word here. The key word here is the word refresh. The word is more appropriately translated into return or even repent. This word, when appeared in the Greek version of the Old Testament, was primarily associated with turning away from sins. For example, Proverbs 1.23, it says, Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you, I will make known to you my teachings. The word repent here is the in this verse, Proverbs, is the same word of refresh in Psalm 23. Also found in Ezekiel 18 that says, Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to my own ways, or your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Again, the word repent here is the same word, for refresh in Psalm 23. So when a sheep, now it's not about a sheep being too relaxed or, or falling asleep. It is about when a sheep got lost. And when a sheep got lost, what they would normally do is to hide themselves behind some bushes and they normally would be really, really afraid. Like this. Like hiding behind some bushes. I mean, he's probably being put there for this picture's sake. As a result, when it was, uh, the sheep was subsequently found by the shepherd, it would usually be still shaking and unable to walk. That's why the shepherd would need to carry it back home. And if you remember, this is exactly what Jesus said of the same situation. In his parable, in Luke 15, when the shepherd found a lost sheep, and when he finds it, he joyfully put, this, put it on his shoulder and goes home. This is 
the situation described in verse 3 in Psalm 23. It doesn't necessarily uh, be a con- continuation of verse 2. No. It is not about waking up a sleepy sheep. It is about a sheep who did not follow the leadership of the shepherd, wandered off the right path, and eventually got lost. When that happens, when God's people did not follow his voice and wander off the right path, instead of giving them up, God would guide them to repentance. The main point of this verse is God's finding and our repentance. When we repent, God would certainly guide us back to the right paths for his namesake. But then, the situation changes as we move on to verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But there are many dangerous terrains in the Palestine. Well, this picture is one of them. Okay? This picture is, uh, is an example near Jericho, the, the city of Jericho. But the issue here is not that the sheep wander off the, the right path and enter into the darkest valley or the valley of the death. No. The sheep here were led to the darkest valley by the shepherd. Why? Why would the shepherd lead them into such a dire situation? Was it because the shepherd himself got lost? Bad GPS signal? No, always recalculating. Of course, I mean, of course not. I mean, if the Lord is my shepherd, is our shepherd, then we know that he would never get lost. In fact, feeding the sheep in the Palestine has to follow some strategy. The shepherds, they would strategize among themselves and decided which hill to feed the flock first. So all the shepherds lead their flocks into the same hill, and when one pasture was almost consumed, they would move on to the next one. So when they moved from one hill to the next, they would have to travel through what's between two hills. And we know it, it is called a valley. Therefore, to walk through the darkest valley or the valley of death was actually for survival. The sheep probably do not understand why they must travel through such a dark and dangerous condition. That's the same for us too, right? At times when we encounter the darkest valley of life, we would definitely try to avoid it. But God might not think the same. He might see that these darkest valleys is necessary for us. There's a purpose for such experience. It's just that we don't know it when we're going through it. But if we see our God as our shepherd, then we must not lose sight on him, especially during these moments in the darkest valleys in our lives. Just like what happens in this psalm. How can the sheep be less afraid when walking through the darkest valley? They do it by setting sight on the shepherd. 
And when they set sight on the shepherd, they would know that this shepherd is with them. The scripture says, For you are with me. Now the phrase, you are with me, is a very common phrase that we hear all the time in prayers in the scriptures. But if you know the original Hebrew on this, you will understand how special this phrase is. This phrase is actually called Emmanuel, which has the root of the word Emmanuel. L is God. In Matthew 1.23, the angel proclaimed the incarnation of God's Son, Jesus. The angel says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. So Psalm 23's gospel message is that in the darkest valley, God is with us. God is Emmanuel. But the climax of this being with us does not take place in the darkest valley. It took place when God's Son coming to become one of us, taking on the appearance of a man and live among us in the world. So, in the darkest valley, the sheep can see God, Emmanuel. And after this experience, of, of, of this experiencing this God, Emmanuel, the psalmist continues to say, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And pay attention now. Starting this verse, the psalmist has left the parable of a sheep in describing himself. It's no longer a sheep and shepherd parable here. Now he is using another parable. Now he is a guest entering the house of a generous host. Hospitality is the most recognized virtue in the Middle East. In the Palestine, if one person is to gain reputation, he, would, he wouldn't go out to, to get himself a nice car or buy himself a nice house. No, he wouldn't do that. He would open his home and treat as many people as possible and as big a feast as possible. That's how they gain reputation. But out of the many different forms of hospitality, the one that is considered the most divine and holy is to provide asylum for travelers who are being pursued by bandits or by, by various kinds of attackers and facing death threats. This kind of extreme hospitality to offer refuge against attackers are perceived as a holy social responsibility. In 2005, just 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when a small platoon of U.S. Navy SEAL were being pursued by heavily armed troops of Taliban in Pakistan, only one survivor was left running for his life. And this has become the story of the movie, Lone Survivor. This Navy SEAL eventually ran into a village of a tribe known as Pushtun in Pakistan. This village offered him asylum and protected him against the heavily armed Taliban, causing serious casualties for the village. But at the end, the backup from the U.S. Army arrived 
and fought off the Taliban and the, and the Navy SEAL was saved. Psalm 23 verse 5 could be thought as a similar situation. A traveler being pursued by attackers, probably some bandits, which are very common in the Palestinian desert. When ancient people read verse 5 of Psalm 23, they would likely think of such, such a situation. Now this, the question is, when you decide to offer asylum to a traveler, imagine you're a host, when you decide to offer asylum to such a traveler, just like the Pushkin people did for the Navy SEAL uh, in, in the Pakistan, you would have to consider the price you have, the price you have to pay. But the host in Psalm 23, he embraced the traveler and offered him asylum. This way, every ancient reader would understand that this host has now taken up all the threats and dangers of the traveler onto himself. Your enemy has now become my enemy. And here, it specifies table and cup. In a meal setting in Israel, no, no matter what food is served or how luxurious the meal is, the interesting part is that they have no table utensils. They have no cutleries. For ancient Israelites, their cutleries or their, their utensils are the bread. They would break the bread and then take a small piece to dip into each dish and then to hold the food and eat it with the bread. Of course, they, they would eat the whole piece. You know, they're not going to eat half of it and dip again. That's not recommended by the Health and Safety Committee. <laughs> and as a result, there must be bread on the table, right? There must be bread on the table. And for cup, of course, we know. It's to hold wine for drinking. Now, we have to get this. Bread and cup appear together at a supper in which the host has to pay a steep price for the guest. Bread and cup are used to serve at a supper in which the host will likely have to make sacrifice even of his own life for the guests. What would you think of? Which particular table would you think of now? Take this bread and eat. It is my body laid down for you. Take this cup and drink it, all of you. It is my blood, which is poured out for many. And we call this atonement. In the parable of the prodigal son, when the prodigal lost all his inheritance and returned home with shame, the entire village would want to disgrace him or even beat him up. But the father was willing to embrace his son, bear his shame. So in the presence of the son's enemies, including his elder brother, the father prepared a table before him. And when Jesus ate with tax collectors and prostitutes in front of the Pharisees, those sinners 
tax collectors, prostitutes, they would immediately feel the presence of their enemies in those Pharisees and scribes. And in the presence of their enemies, Jesus prepared a table before them. And it's because of this table fellowship with sinners. The asylum Jesus offered to these sinners that Jesus was eventually crucified by the religious leaders. So back to Psalm 23. After experiencing such enormous grace from the psalm, from the, from the host, the psalmist was so compelled that he must praise the Lord. So praise and thanksgiving are the most fitting elements for the conclusion of this great psalm. And in conclusion he says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word that is most overlooked in this psalm is found in this final verse. It is the word follow. In Hebrew, this word is more descriptive than the word follow and should be translated as pursue, run after, or even hunt. Now you may wonder if this is the case, right? I mean, how would God's grace and, and, and love will hunt me down? That that's, sounds weird. But let's not forget what the situation was in verse 5. The person was being pursued, run after, or hunted down by his enemies. So after the meal, maybe he, he started running for his life again. So when you're running for your life, what you would normally do when you're running for your life, you would, well, well you, you probably have no experience in that. But, if you just, just use common sense, when, when you're running for your life, you would likely look back from time to time, right? To see how close your enemies are, right? You would look back and see how close they are, and then you, you run faster. This is exactly the twist that the psalmist wanted his readers to get here. In verse 6, as the person was running for his life again, and as he looked back, he sees no enemies anymore. As he looked back, he was caught by surprise because all he could see that was hunting him down was God's goodness and love. Wow! After the sacrificial love as displayed in the table prepared by the host, the psalmist was saved and liberated once and for all. So finally, the psalmist proclaimed that God's goodness and love will follow him all the days of his life. The phrase, all the days of his life, is a special one. In Hebrew, it is called, it, when we, when, this phrase is translated as Yom Kahi. That's Hebrew. Yom Kahi. These two Hebrew words are very well known. Because this particular phrase, Yom Kahi, appeared for the first time in Genesis 3. Not the most pleasant passage in the Bible. Genesis 3, when Adam was cursed after the fall. In Genesis 3, 17, when God was announcing the penalty to Adam after his sin against God, God said, the one below, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days 
of your life. Yom Kahi. Exactly the same words as in Psalm 23. So from Genesis 3 to Psalm 23, we see a reversal of curse. Yom Kahi was originally associated with a curse. But now, Psalm 23, it has become associated with God's goodness and love. So, when we see, just a recap, when we see God as our shepherd, that's the preamble, there's a heading. God as our shepherd. And when we repent from walking on our own path, when God becomes one of us, He becomes Emmanuel. When God pays a steep price with His Son's life as He breaks the bread and pours the wine, then, as we look back, we will no longer find the curse chasing us. But God's goodness and love. Isn't it hallelujah? This is a beautiful song. And may it continue to guide us to be thankful to God and be praising for His salvation. As we continue to live our lives, it's also our responsibility, our calling, to continue to proclaim God's salvation as did the psalmist. May we all be touched by the testimony of the psalmist. And may your testimony touch other people's hearts, just as this psalm has touched yours. As a concluding prayer, I'd like you to join me to read this psalm as a prayer. Let us all stand and read it. And the worship team can get ready. Let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.